0: processes and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode. And I'm very lucky today to have Tristan Gordon from Zebra Investments talking to me because he is a young, inspirational property investor and developer who I know is going to resonate with so many of you. Welcome, Tristan.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Rachel. Great to be on and nice to join you.
0: Now, for those of you who have no idea, Tristan works up in East Anglia in Norwich. And I say that because it's somewhere where you have to physically go to with a purpose, isn't it? We're not connected to motorways, are we?
1: No, we're in the absolute middle of nowhere, which makes it a really nice little bubble for investing because we tend to get people moved back with a bit of cash in their hand and want to go elsewhere. But it's really a gorgeous, nice little place. Exactly, in the middle of nowhere.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, in the middle of nowhere. Now, Norwich, it's got first-class universities, brilliant hospitals. Why do more people not know about Norwich? Or is it a really well-kept secret we don't need to let out?
1: I think Norwich is a really well-kept secret, as you say, that there's not many people know about and it hasn't been let out. Because we're in the middle of, you know, East Edinburgh, we're not too close to anything. You have to windle down all the little rows to get to and finally get here. So you tend to find, uh, over the last few years, a lot of university students who come up to Norwich and then they'll go off and they'll do their degrees, they'll learn and whatever else. And actually, they end up staying here. And it's only like my my brother's um, fiance. she's now been here, I think, coming on seven eight years. And people just come to Norwich and they think, wow, it's a really nice place to live. And so we've got a real struggle with kind of age and population because we get a lot of people who come up here and move up here to retire, which makes it great if you're looking to flip property but also because we've got quite a lot of young people who come here and stay here also makes a great market for house shares and student rents and also for short term rentals to, as you said the castles
0: absolutely well this this you know i've i've been in norfolk and suffolk for most of my life although I didn't grow up here and i had no idea of just how diverse it was until i came to your property meet because you also have a property meet which we'll talk about later now one of the great things about you is that you haven't just started this as a side hustle, have you? You've always done property as a business in some form.
1: Most well, definitely. So, I mean, it all started off, I used to be a water ski instructor. And <laughs> when. <we're, laughs> And it all started off when I was sitting in the boat and every time anyone would want to come out for a lesson, I'd always chat and and everyone would chat far too much. I'd pick up everyone's business cards along the way. And the bit was, if you did that, you mainly got invited to the guest dinner evening and it was far better than the slop that we'd got anywhere else. So we'd get invited for guest dinner and you get chatting to everyone and inevitably everyone seemed to be private equity, property investors, developers, large companies, or doing it for themselves. And I kind of sat there and I thought, well, there's got to be something to this. There's got to be something different to this, to what I've just got up and done my three years doing my marketing degree. So next thing I know, I get a nice little text message from a chap called Alex. He runs a company called Poshfaz in Southampton. And yep. they have a huge portfolio down there. And as I was working with them, I went off. And the next thing I know, we'd just come out at the back of 2011, 2012. And things were just starting to get normal with financing. But there was no more of that same-day refinancing, the 110% mortgages.
0: Oh, I loved them, yes.
1: And... And with it, suddenly, we're just struggling to, you know, are not necessarily struggling, but we didn't have the same cash and the same ability to go buy properties. But we still knew there were properties out there that we wanted to buy, rent out, and use. So quickly to then, I suddenly started going off finding deals, as you've said before in your podcast, sourcing deals, finding opportunities, I was finding deals, was finding investors, and then I was in project managing and refurbishing projects for other people, and that was great. And then I then moved up to London, built out a rent-to-rent portfolio for someone else, and took it from six houses to I think twenty-four in the space of twelve months. And then then worked for a brand. Oh, but rent. it wasn't yours. It wasn't mine. But was, the whole thing with it is, and it's something I've realized since, is it all came down really to false expectations appearing real, and and I'd always. Thought in my head, the only reason this is working is because I'm backed by some investors, I'm backed by people who've got a decent amount of cash, and they've got track record and credibility. And I sat there, and I was like, I was going around all these people, knocking on all the doors. I've got the pitch completely honed down, yep. and, you know, going to completely new agents, getting deals on and stuff all over the place. But I just had that belief that it's, you can't do this on your own. You've got to do it for someone else. Yeah. Uh, And so, over time, I've ended up doing this all for other people, and it was only a couple of years ago that I sat down, and I was was moving back down to Southampton with my girlfriend at the time, and I thought, you know what, we can do this for ourselves. But the thing I always describe it as is, you get given the blocks, you get given the, the breeze blocks of information to put together, so I had all the lumpy chunks, but I didn't have any of the mortar to hold it together, so... Did I know how to get a mortgage? Did I know how to get the finance sorted? Did I know all these? All these bits are kept a mystery from me because <laughs> that meant you're kept in the job doing what you're doing. Yes. Then, as uh, I said, I, I've told you before when we've met face to face, and I run through. I, I found load of YouTube videos. I found Sir Mazuchi. I found Property Magic. I found Susanna Cole talking all about buy to sell and flips because no one seemed to talk about it at the time. And I thought, hey, there's a business here, and we've gone from there.
0: Fantastic. Because that. You know, that know, That is the thing. It is a mindset thing, isn't it? You've just proved it absolutely in that you could have done this a lot earlier, but you didn't because like so many people who've not run a business for themselves before, they find it easy to work on behalf of someone rather than for themselves. Now, I have to hold my hand up to this because when I was doing a lot of direct-to-vendor stuff in Stoke-on-Trent, my card, my business card said that it had my company name, but I always made out that I wasn't actually in charge. I always had somebody else I had to refer back to because I found it a lot easier to go, you know, stomping in going, this is where I'd like to pay and all the rest of it. Knowing I couldn't be challenged because there was always this invisible person behind me who was going, no, 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 no. You know, that's the price it's got to be. That is a seismic change when you suddenly work for yourself and you just go, this is me. I'm good enough. I can find the backers, I can find the money, I can find the deals, let's put it all together.
1: Well, I, I always find that's a great way of doing it, actually. If you are making offers, you are going out there and talking to people. I always turn around and say, okay, well, I'm going to have to just double check with, my, with the investors, or I have to double check with my colleagues. We're going to just have to run through the numbers and see how it's stacked before I put an offer in? Yes. Because then if, if you then go back to someone, it's not just, well, Tristan, you, you're trying to negotiate the price that. Right? Oh, I'm really sorry, I've had a chat with someone else, or unfortunately, costings look like they're going to be a bit too much having spoken to the project team. And whilst to the outside world, it makes it seem like you've got a far bigger team, actually, it means you can sometimes take things a little bit more at your pace, especially when you've got a lot on the go.
0: Yeah, a lot of it gives you wiggle room, doesn't it? And, And also credibility. Because you can't expect one person, if you've never done property, to understand all the spheres of it. And that does frighten some vendors. So that's a really good way to, to get going. What was your first deal then that you did for you?
1: So there's two answers to this. There's one sexy one and there's one not so sexy. I'll go with the first one, <laughs> uh, which is the first one I ever did. And um, so when I was um, working at this company, Poshbird in Southampton, so this was about 2013-14 when I bought my first one. And I sat there and I was like, and before that I'd always hustled I'd picked up anything sold anything and everything but I had a phone call from one of the one of the landlords that we had in our portfolio and they called in and said, hey Tristan um, we're looking to sell this property my daughter's been living there for the whole time we've been she's been at university and you've been managing it would you do you know anyone who might like to buy it And I was like, yes I'll had that one they, <laughs> I thought I'd like that one Yeah, yeah go for it uh, and so I bought that property uh, at the time I think I managed to get an 85 or a 90% residential mortgage and granted this isn't what you're supposed to do, um, but my idea was if I was to live there, you could then kind of house hack, you can rent all the rest of the rooms out in the property and then you can make sure that you, and the idea is you rent all the other rooms in the property, that covers your bills, your costs, everything else, so effectively each month, yeah, I'm starting at zero and that means you can save more, can work on everything else. So that was the idea. Um, and then what I went in is over the months, so I then managed to save up. I got something maybe about seven, six, seven thousand pounds worth, which might sound like a lot, but or not much. But it was a lot of effort and a lot of tassel for me to try and save that and put that away every month. But in doing so, um, I realized downstairs we had a, a dining room. But If you move the walls across, I could turn that dining room into, according to HRO regulations, a living room. So Fantastic. I put a living room in downstairs. And then that meant my living room became A bedroom. A bedroom. So suddenly I've gone from three bedrooms to four bedrooms, and I purchased it for about 220,000, something along those lines. Um, and within the space of a year, year and a half, um, it was now worth 200 and about 260,, 270,000 pounds. And then I got myself a new buy-to-let mortgage at 85 yep. percent, because at the time Kent Reliance were offering those, and suddenly, I was no money left in on my first property. So, wow. <laughs>
0: but interestingly, you've done, you did exactly the same entry route as Simon Succi. So it's so right.
1: But the thing is, it's just the one thing I had learned afterwards is I went off and I bought another property and it went completely differently. I didn't get any of my money back out and recycle it. But right. one of the things I've learned is whenever you do a deal is if you review it after you've done it, then you can double check, well, was that what I was hoping to do? Was that what I was hoping to get to? What happened? What changed? And why didn't it work? And that's actually, if i thought about that on the first one, then when the next time I bought a property, I would have repeated the same process and then, fingers crossed, I, I you know could have even had an extra property along the way. But hey, I'm quite happy where I am.
0: You've got to learn by the mistakes. And the mistakes don't always, are not always our fault, as in the market can move, the finance can change. You know, I've got a lot of clients at the moment who are going, oh, everything's being downgraded. They've done nothing different from everything they've done before. Yeah just the valuers so you know it, it's you know it is about learning how to go with the rough and the smooth so you had those and then so you...
1: that, that was the very first one and then yeah. sorry oh. <laughs> go for so it. i said there was two so then but then the first one that i actually did for myself for my own business once i started working myself was actually doing a hmo and it was an hmo in southampton so we're already in an article four area yes uh, which, which meant that you can only buy an existing hmo do it up Or you have to try and get planning permission. So I had a little bit of a creative tactic for this. I went online and I found any student property for rent that was now outside the student letting year that was empty. Right. And I came across this one property. uh, Oh, I came across a few, but I came across this one property, Johnson Street. And so then what I then did is I worked out who the owner of that property was and I sent them a letter. I sent them an uh, email. I sent them a Facebook message. And finally, after you know, blasting me with endless information, <laughs> uh, they came back to me and they said, uh, said to me, "Ah, oh, Tristan, I like you. We're easy to get along. Go have a look around the place. Tell me what you think. Went around and he just gave me the keys. And he said, well, you can't do anything to the place because if you go in, it's a complete mess that it is. Uh, so I went in there and it, it was a four-bedroom student house, a three-stroke four-bedroom student house that had been just left an absolute state. But it had been built in probably about 2004. So it means all the walls are stud work. Everything in the house. So it means the building was really malleable. So we then turned that from a four-bedroom to a five-bedroom, Yep. put all on suites into the place. And at the time, I thought, what's the best way to keep your prices down? And at the time, we thought cost is the main thing. Time didn't necessarily think about So, the next thing we know, we're off on Facebook Marketplace, all over the place, trying to pick up building materials to go off and do your refurb. I can tell you, it's not worth it. No. Nope. Tiles were all different sizes, things didn't quite fit. And the other thing was, we set off with a budget of about £40,000 to do it, £60,000 later, which finished. <laughs> And I was sort of 50% over. The bit was was also at the time when we purchased it just before COVID and, you know, or, and so I bought it at a decent price of £220,000. I'd done all my research and analysis in the area and everything pointed to a value of £325,000 when done. Then comes COVID. I've managed to get the whole thing finished. I'm sitting on investor finance where I've got someone who lent me the money to do the project. Fantastic. But now he was just struggling to get a, someone out to revalue. I'll take, even take a look at it. We've run over time because the the builder that I'd used and been recommended to didn't deliver anywhere near the standard or timeline that we'd expected it. So it took longer, got out the other side. Then we came to the refinance and the value returner said, well, there's no way in heck you're ever going to get those rooms rented out for that amount. And he oh. valued five all-ensuite bedrooms. Uh, I think about £1,200 a month rent. Instead of two thousand eight hundred and fifty, and then he then downvalued the property from three hundred twenty-five to two hundred and ninety-seven and a bit, and the mortgage products had changed from eighty percent down to seventy-five. So suddenly, everything was against me. Oh, everything was against me.
0: Everything was against you. But
1: you know, at the end of the day, it came out. Got the rooms rented. I had a few challenges with that along the way, and got the place occupied. It started producing an income. It was just unfortunately. Some people tell me to say you need to invest on, you know, the, the cusp of a nice area and the cusp of a, maybe a rough area and the you know, the intermediate location. That's where you get the good prices. This was just a little bit too much in the rough and unfortunately it was just constantly a struggle to let it. So even though it looked stunning and it was right next to the city centre, it just wouldn't go. So I've sold it in the end. But actually the funny thing was I sold it to the price that I really wanted to revalue it at and it was occupied by tenants paying the rent I said it would get. <laughs>
0: So actually, yes, it, you know everything worked. It's just that, you know, you had a problem because of COVID and everything else. But it is a really good learning point that sometimes you've just got to go, it looked like it was okay. It's not now for what I need. I will get rid of it and reinvest the money elsewhere. Most definitely. And so what was your next deal after that?
1: So the next deal in Southampton, this is when I was still down there, but it's actually it's a really sweet and simple deal that most people can go out and do. And I say it's sweet and simple. I found it really easily. I went on to Zoopla, at the bottom it's got a little contact yep. form. And you can just type in and you select all the agents in your area. And I said, hey guys, I'm looking for a large one-bedroom flat um, that's might need a load of modernization, ideally has got a short lease. If you've got anything, let me know. And literally, the next day, I get a call from one of the local agents. And they said, oh, we've got a one-bedroom flat. The lease is long. Is that a problem? I said, no, no, it'll be all right. Let's come have a look. <laughs> and it was a one-bedroom flat. And I looked at it. And as before I even went out to go see it, on the main road next to it, there was two-bedroom flats that had been selling for £150,000. And so <laughs> my one was on the road behind it on the street. But we had a flat roof, so I we thought, well, the flat roof is probably going to detract from the valley, but I'm not on the main road, so that will add to the value. So I thought, well, you know, they're probably going to balance out. So on the moment I went in for the viewing, I knew the property would be worth 150, whereas the next person in the viewing as a one bed was only ever going to make it worth 120. So- yeah. So... We then went and I looked at the place, went around it, and the investor that I managed to find to back me on it was actually my solicitor. We'd be talking about deals, opportunities, how things oh, work. Oh,
0: fabulous.
1: And, and he just sort of said, oh, well, can I get involved? I was like, yeah, go on then. And so <laughs> so we found this property, found this property, and it was a really simple deal. It's just turning it from a one-bit to a two-bit. I say simple. It had... A you know, own okay-sized kitchen. It had a massive bedroom across the back. And we simply took out one wall, moved the wall across to create two double bedrooms, and then turned the kitchen into our open-plan kitchen living room. And hey, presto, we've taken the property, I think it was about 16 grand refurb, and we went from purchase price of £92,020. The 20 was because I put a random number on the end of it, and uh, actually... (laughs) The other offer that came in came in at £92,000. So the £20 got me the property. Um, so we went in, bought that, did the work. So 90, and then we then sold to another person who I'd met at PIN in Southampton, sold it to them. And, and by selling it to them, we then, I think we walked away with about a twenty-six to £30,000 profit between the two of us. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Well worth it.
1: As like I said, it's a really simple deal for someone to go do because there's plenty, plenty of one beds that can easily be rearranged into two beds, and because they're quite small properties, a lot of larger investors or want people work down the line. They just avoid them or leave them, but they're still they great little it's, opportunities. It's seen
0: as too simple. But it's too simple, and actually, what we should always be thinking of is, will this make me money? that's what we're here for. Yeah. So you then went up to Norwich and you do very different things up there, don't you? You're not just doing one bedroom flats
1: there. No, definitely not. So I moved back to Norwich. I uh, moved back to Norwich in just literally about 2020, as COVID locked down all over again. And I said I was like, great. No, 21. Anyway, as lockdown kicked in again. And I said, what are we gonna do? And so I sat there and was like, well I've fortunately over the last um, year, year and a year and a half in Southampton, I've managed to pick up investors, people who want to work with me, happy to lend me money and work on projects together. And I've built up a track record. So the thing that I'd always looked for, and I always do look for is something there where it's empty. Something where it's an empty property, anything where it's a problem property, anything where people just aren't using it. And the idea is then you're having a positive impact really, because even in the two cases I've given you previously, Both of them were empty. And by doing that, you're putting it back into the community. So I've went off, i got up to Norwich, and the first thing I looked at was, went on Rightmove, and I was like, okay, what's pretty much the oldest listed property on here? What's the... (laughs) biggest, oldest listed property. And I actually found it in the end through property data. I quite liked using data to find deals. And it was massive. It was oversized. It was a nine-bedroom house. A nine-bedroom house on High Low Road. And it was was designed for multi-generational living. So the parents had lived at one point in an annex, which was the old converted garage and put it back onto it. And then the main of the house had a two bedrooms for children to live in at the front, foster care at the front. And then they had another bedroom for their own children, another one downstairs, so another two upstairs. It's huge. And in Norwich, unfortunately, we're not a very diverse city. So we don't tend to have that many large families or large groups all living together. It's just, it's just kind of how it all worked it. So no one was looking at the property because no one wants to buy a nine bedroom house. So it was on the market with three different agents and I popped around to see them. But even sent a letter in the post because I was like, before I'd even got to South, back up to Norwich, I was like, that's a deal for me. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and then so we went in and it was as simple as knocking down, between the two properties, it was knocking down a conservatory that linked two properties together. And then we, actually, we had to replace the roof on the kitchen because it was starting leaking. But the idea was we could just put guttering in, it, split the two properties apart, get rid of the gas connection between the two of them and hey presto, we are two houses. And then we ended up in, in the end, we ended up redecorating the whole, the inside of the main house and doing all up. So it was really nice. But we bought the whole place for four hundred and fifty-four thousand one hundred and fifty. And then in, <laughs> <laughs> and then we sold next door just one half of it for four hundred and twenty-five. Which realistically, with all of our costs, it left us in for probably about seventy-five to hundred thousand pounds after we'd done the work to that. We split the properties and whatever else on this um, annex. And, and with the Fantastic. analytics at the same time as going through, we've got planning permission, and I was just down at, at, uh, at the property this morning, and we've just had an ASIC truss roof, which to anyone who doesn't know what they are, you can get the whole roof built off-site. They deliver it all on-site, on, on the back of a lorry with a lit, um, frame, And over the space of a week, two weeks, you put the whole new floor with bedrooms, everything in ready to go. Uh, wow! And so we've now split them into two, and at the end of the day... Such wood should be worth eight hundred twenty-five thousand pounds, and and that all came from those same people that I was working with in Southampton and building that credibility, building that trust, and working with them. Yes, and the full circle, really, that you kind of said about we when we spoke earlier about Simon Zucci was I was actually at one of his networking events in Southampton. And every time he kept going along, kept telling people a little, bit, a little bit about what I did. One of the guys just said, Tristan, I've seen you for four months now. Let's go for a beer. And we've now done, I think, five deals together and we keep doing deals together because it just works. And he's the guy Absolutely. that...
0: Absolutely. That, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? And you really do get this networking thing. So you set up a very successful networking group in Norwich. Now, I have to say here that it's so important, I think, in property, when somebody gives you an unexpected chance or opportunity, you must grasp it, mustn't you? Because I had never heard of your networking meeting. And a friend of mine rang up, sent me a text and said, I was supposed to be going to this, can't go, can you go in my place? And I had not a clue what I was being sent to. I said, yep, looks like fun, it's in Norwich, it's, ne- it's property, what's not to like? Definitely. And I bumbled up, and know my word. Talk about a vibrant group. You set that up for yourself, really, didn't you?
1: Yeah, most definitely. I, so I set up Norwich Property Meet, and I, this might oversimplify it, but anyone out there can set up a property networking event in your area. And it, it could be anything from a coffee meet to go rubbing a beer or whatever else. But one of the bits that I really wanted was when I moved up to Norwich, fortunately, I had one or two friends from school or whatever else, but I just didn't have any friends who are kind of with the same mindset, do the same thing. And certainly with property, if you surround yourself with good people, then you're all going to be heading in the same direction. So I started Norwich Property Meet to really to kind of make friends. And I say, at the, <laughs> I say at the event, and I don't think anyone ever believes me, but... Genuinely, I moved to Norwich and I didn't know anyone, and I thought, what's the best way to do this? So I started a networking event, and the whole idea, and Rachel exactly knows what I do, but it's free, but you have to pay to go. And then when you turn up, you get your money given back to you, and the whole idea of doing it was that people will turn up because they want to be there. And if it's on a Friday night, you're going to have to put a special day in your diary because you want to be there. And then everyone gets a free drink because I get it from the sponsorship. I don't make any money out of it. But the whole old idea is really is people want to be there. I would make friends. And then I also get to choose who or get to interview, talk to people or have whoever I like come up and talk. And I get to enjoy who's speaking. So... Rachel the other week was really kind. She came along and presented to all of us. It was a fantastic evening. But it's really, it's a bit little bit self indulgent. But it's absolutely worth the treat. Oh,
0: it's a great self indulgence. I think more of us should should be like that because. You know, it is a group that know each other quite well. Now they're very noisy, very they josh each other, and one of the reasons is is that um, the diversity of property is huge in that room, and that's what makes it so fascinating for anyone who comes in for the first time and and hasn't done very much property. You know, like so many people, they come and go. Well, it's really HMOs or flipping, not a lot else. And then suddenly, whoa! You know, you can do land, you can do short term lets, you can do all sorts. And then they discover about how to finance because you've got. Incredibly excitable mortgage man who's also going to record, who is so into exciting and different outside the box stuff, isn't he? Which, of course, presumably is why you work with him.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the bits I, I always wanted to do is I've seen him, I've gone to other events and they have mortgage rogues or brokers there. And there's always like, oh, well, this month, Land Bay have got a rate of this. This month, Halifax got a rate of this. And it's like, whoop dee So, whereas you had Simon come along who's actually a property investor himself. And he's got his own portfolio and he actively works with investors. So when you sit there and you've got someone in front of you, he'll say, well, what do you want to do? How are you trying to do it? And you've got someone who literally tells you. And I think he gives as much, you know, or not quite as much, but he gives a lot of information and knowledge and insight to people who are there each month. That he's just as, I think, just as interesting as anyone else.
0: Oh, absolutely. And finance is absolutely crucial to getting all this stuff right. And it, it's so overlooked because it's it's not taught on property courses or anything else, unless you're doing a very specific property
1: finance course.
0: But you also do Lend and Learn, don't you, which is quite rare.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I've started doing Lend and Learn with a few people. Uh, and the whole idea of it really is that there's people out there who want to get started, or they can see that there's opportunities on their doorstep, not quite necessarily sure what to do. But I've kind of gone through the, kind of the whole process of how I would analyze or go through a deal. And I usually start with saying, okay, if you are looking to lend money towards a project that I'm working on, let's have a look at a project that I'm working on. We come in for a free session. We'll sit down together, run through it. And then I sat down and said, okay, well, is this a good deal? How do you value something? How do you find an opportunity? And at the end, of I said, well, hopefully, touch wood, you now actually know how to look at a deal or analyze a deal or find one yourself. So If I put one in front of you, you can take a look at it and say whether you think it's good or whether you think it's bad or whether you don't want to work for me at all, you might just not like me. And then from that, I then have a structure and go through it and then we also do site visits and run through things just to kind of give people, I think, the knowledge that you can actually go out and do a deal uh, off their own back.
0: Yes. And quite often people don't, they, they take you up on that or they enjoy the actual learning and, and the lending. But when they see the realities of running around like a headless chicken sometimes and nothing happening on another day, it's, you know, it, it's a bit too much them because that's one of the things about property is that no two days are ever alike, are they?
1: No, definitely not. And I think the one thing, and I haven't listened to you speak, um, which I I haven't necessarily done so much of, is I think the one bit is just keeping them accountable and letting them know, okay, well, how many humans have you done? What have you been up to? Giving them targets on that side of it.
0: As we've recalled this, this is the end of quarter one, you know, if you're going by the year calendar. And it is, you know, my clients get sent out quarter one book and they have to fill it in. It's very interesting. Those who fill it in and send it back, and it doesn't take that long, are always the ones who are succeeding. And that's the fascinating thing because they can suddenly spot the problems early on and get them amended and move on. And as you say, one week can move into another. And if you haven't got someone going, sorry, uh, I thought you said you were going to do that three months ago. You've got to really push yourself through and find some more you know, investors or whatever it is that you need to do. Now, how do you, because you, you're a solopreneur, really, aren't you? You outsource, but you don't have a huge team of people sitting beavering away every day for you, do you? How do you manage your time?
1: Um, some I'd like to say incredibly well. I've got this absolutely nailed. Prophecy is completely passive. It's so easy, it's unbelievable. So whether I actually have one person, I was... One person who works with me part-time and they do my finance assistant and finance. So the idea is, is whenever we've got an invoice or anything coming in, that they can track it, work out how we're performing against a project, keep on top of the invoice and that side of it. Because I do not like admin. I don't like admin. It's the four A's of it. I can create as much mess as you like and go from there. But the <laughs> next the next problem that I found was you, you come up with a project, you come up with a design we you've found something that's going to work well. So the first thing I quite like doing is I'll come up with a plan of design and layout how I think something's going to come together. And then from that, I usually do that at the very beginning because I can then work out what value I can add to a project. And I would have done the deal analysis and all that side of it myself. And as soon as we've got that plan together, the next step is to work out how it's going to all come together and put a specification. So saying I've already got a deal agreed or whatever else. So then I then write up a building specification and... This sounds very tedious, but I have an Excel spreadsheet that has every single different thing inside of inside of a room. Whether it says strip the wallpaper, strip the lining paper, strip the whatever else, and you simply delete what you don't need. So that yep. way, every spec can be written within probably about three hours flat for a, yes. a four-bedroom house. You can do the whole thing top to bottom, and then what I then do is I've got a rather lovely month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, good. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, and, but I mean, for other people, if you don't have a bug, this will make sense anyway. But what I then have is a costing spreadsheet. So the idea is we work out how much is roughly going to cost for every different part of that project. So what I've then done is on this spreadsheet, it then says, okay, how much is a nut? How much is a bolt? How much is a radiator? How much carpet? Yada, yada, yada. So you can work out the whole price of that build. So I've trained her how to do it, but you could just as easily probably train a virtual assistant on the other side of the world. But Mum is actually quite good because I can take her out for afternoon tea and various other bits <laughs> which we can put as expenses. We both get to enjoy it rather than just paying her. So so she's great at putting that together. And then once we put a cost together, I then get the trades or the labour prices together. It's so, hopeful. What I've been trying to do more recently is work with project managers to then deliver a refurb or a project for me. Or if I've got a carpenter or a multi-trade who's very good on the tools, I've offered them a bit of a kickback. So the idea is they'll say, any trades that you organize, I'll give you 5% of whatever you organize them at. And the idea being is that if they're not paying them themselves, they don't have to put the VAT onto it, they don't have extra accounting, they don't have to worry about paying people, they don't have to have people chasing them. Those people chase me. So whatever they organize, I'll pay them 5% on top. And then we have a total project cost that we've worked at what it should deliver at. And anything it delivers at under, they get a third of. So they're incentivized both to oh, organize neat. it and to save costing. So And then the idea is as well, which we haven't quite got into place, is if they deliver it on time, they get a bonus as well. But So that way, at one of the sites, it works really well. A couple of them it worked really well. Another one, we kind of started with it, and the chap then turned and said, no, Tristan, I don't want to do that. But then he has still kind of been organizing the trades, but also been pushing back on me quite a lot. But by having a project manager or some new place who can go out and do that side of it, they're delivering the day-to-day. Yeah. Whilst I'm still, I'm then sourcing out anything, for example, like the finance side of it, the legal side of it. And I quite like getting into the planning side of it where we're adding significant values of property on the way in. So yes. then we can work through the end of it. But it's very much, it's been an evolution over time because at the very beginning, I would go down and say, okay, well, I need a plumber, I need an electrician, I need this, this, this. And suddenly you're getting phone calls every hour, every day of the week. Uh, yep. And then that's where it's moved into. I then found in Southampton a chap called um, Luke. He's a fantastic bloke who runs uh, a company called Arlo Properties, but he did all my project management for me. So he charged me a fixed rate each week. He'd organize all the trades, everything else, get in and out. And there wouldn't be any of that fat on paying for a builder on top of it. Yeah. And so that's what I've done. And I've kind of kept that model, but... As we're starting to do bigger projects now, we're now moving towards using a build consultancy to run kind of a big refurb yep. uh, or something along those sides. But that's just where I don't have the expertise to run something that big, bring them in. And ideally, with the rest of the business, I've even started to find someone who can help me out raising funding. So as this element, I could find other people who are really good at, it, I could pay their fee to. I've been paying them. Pay for that because then it makes my life easier to focus on what I'm good at, and that's usually finding a deal, working out the best angle, and go from there.
0: Absolutely, and that allows you to scale, which will be fantastic because there's nothing worse than being stuck behind a desk. If you hate being stuck behind a desk,
1: I, I quite like going out and seeing what what projects are going, how things are coming together. Finding about the latest materials, attending shows, talking to people. And then going down, and it's even like bit, with the chaps who run my projects sort or of whatever else, so I'll try and take them out for a curry or a drink or everything else every so often. Just because, you know, you know there's a little bit of, yeah, well, Tristan's all right. He looks after us. We'll do well. We'll help him out down the line. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh,
1: and even, I even mean, been on the site, I said, "They oh, Tristan, we, we don't have anyone, we don't have uh, someone to help out doing dry lining or whatever else today. And if I, if my diary's free enough, I'll sort of say, all right, well, I'll jump on and help you out. And at the end of the day, they're like, them in a head, you can actually do it <laughs>
0: yes i don't think there's any danger of me ever being asked to do anything <laughs> remotely useful on a site <laughs> you know nail varnish and pearls just don't really sort of lend themselves <laughs> to it really <laughs> but that is fantastic so there's lots of growth going forwards in the future for you and you know that absolutely and you're growing your own portfolio and what are your next sort of own portfolio beings? Have you gone into service accommodation? So service accommodation in the North Norfolk area and South Suffolk. My word, it's big, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really is. You, you get every man and his dog come wants to come on holiday here in the summer. Yes. Um, but the only the only downside of I think is going out a little bit further. If then as soon as it comes to the winter, it's like, well, how do you feel those? So, admittedly, my my only limitation is I only tend to deal with properties within fifteen minutes of Norwich.
0: Perfect. That, so, that, but that's about knowing your area, dominating your ground, and that's the last question I was going to ask you about. How important is it to know your area?
1: So I know my know my, my patch, my area pretty damn well, I think. And when I was in Southampton, I knew my area, my patch pretty damn well. I think it's a great. If you know your areas, you know where you should be buying and where you shouldn't be buying. Yeah, and. There's also, you can get a rough idea, even just by walking down a street. I can tell you now, roughly, that's probably going to be worth about that. That's going to be worth about that. That's going to be worth about that. And it also means when you're then quickly looking through opportunities, deals, or whatever else, you can quickly whittle down to work out which one's going to work, which one's not, just by looking at the outside of it. And in all honesty, I don't do many viewings, but I don't do many viewings because, as far as I see, the more viewings I do, the more time I'm wasting. If I can just whittle through and work out exactly what I want, if I go direct to vendor, I know exactly what I want. If I'm going something using data, online i know exactly what i want so if i can find that needle in the haystack that's the best one to go for first And i think especially in norwich there's pockets of it where you could easily set up a really nice airbnb but you've only got to go five minutes down the road and no one is ever going to want to stay there unless they just don't know the area so kind of this kind of falls back to the last question about what i'm doing and it's as I am at the moment, we're actually doing projects where we can convert stuff or refurbish stuff either into projects where we can hold on to them, rip them out as house shares in the city centre and that are quite close to, say, the University of Arts has always doubled in size in about the last 10 years. Has it really? Gosh! Really giving go great guns, and they've taken on loads of new buildings in the city. So you've got great opportunities of that. But if you're thinking, I'm going to do an HMO, then you're going to want to be in certain areas. And there's areas right up by the university. There's a University of East Anglia as well. But if you buy up there, every man and his dog is trying to buy up there. And they're all following the same pattern. And in doing so, you're really hard to find a deal. Whereas, yes. I just avoid, okay, well, that's super hot there. You have that. <laughs> I don't want that. It's basically, if it is you know, so then, so then for say, for example, a service accommodation unit, I'm thinking, okay, I know someone who's absolute experts in it in Norwich. I'll have a chat with them and I'll say, look, I found a property, I found a good deal. I think this is going to work. What do you think? So before I have even bought it, I know how it's going to be used at the end. And for someone who's just getting started, it's not a good idea trying to go out and just shoot a shotgun at the wall and see which one's going to stick and what method or what structure or strategy is going to work. It just doesn't work. So, when I was at the very beginning, I was just focusing on flipping properties to build equity to buy HMOs. Whereas now I will flip. I will usually subdivide or flip a property to then create equity to then invest into properties, then hold on, whether as an HMO or as an Airbnb. Yes. And then that's now being anything like buying flats and completely refurbishing them, or it could be houses, but it's anything that no one wants, I'll have it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, that is just a very good explanation of what having a strategy is all about. Because you know, you fed your future by being a, being flipping and getting your equity, and now you know honing your craft so that you can do, as you say, find anything that you can add value to, or no one else wants, and it's got your name on it, hasn't it? <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing so many pearls of wisdom this morning. It, it's been a great joy. And I thoroughly look forward to uh, seeing, actually, hopefully, a presentation by you one day at another meeting. <laughs> so I know in depth what it is because you haven't been going out and doing that much talking at the moment. But I know you're venturing down south somewhere. Where are you, where are you speaking?
1: So I've spoken down at Hampshire Property Network. Ah, yes. And that that was um, an interesting but quite a good speech. There's a huge room of people there. So we've done that. Um, I need to just reach out to uh, one of. Uh, I need to reach out to a local networking event they've asked if I'd possibly speak in future so I think I'm going to try pop over and down there and yeah because so.
0: absolutely so you know if you have the chance you know to see you speaking then again it's something a little bit different you're not completely in a, in a tiny little box you're definitely someone who's burnt with enthusiasm and joy and wanting to do lots of different things <laughs> so thank you very much that's very, super having you on today
1: well, thank you very much for having me
0: Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.